Hello and welcome to What a Picture, a movie podcast where we go through the sight and sound greatest films of all time critics poll week by week and discuss what makes a great film great. I'm Brian. I'm Hannah. Hi, y'all. Today we are really excited because we have a special guest, our friend Ethan Copeland. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Ethan is a lawyer by day, actor by night. Hopefully one day he will be only an actor forever. (laughs) If he wants to. If he wants to. Yeah. So, yeah, you've done a bunch of stage work. You've done movie work. Uh, we're super excited to have you on. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Great. So I'd love first before we get into the movie, which is The Godfather. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> A little indie film. <laughs> uh, Total B-lister. Yeah. Um, But I'd love to hear a little bit about how you first got into acting. Uh, sure. Well, um, you know, I mean... Going, it's there's not been a time where I've not been um, in in that world, right? I mean that I, that I can remember. Um, mm-hmm. I've always loved storytelling, um, and that's essentially what, which just what acting is is just storytelling. And um, started when I was five years old, so I've been at this for twenty six years. I just gave away my age, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and uh, really, just don't remember not loving it or wanting to do it. You know, even from when I was young enough to see movies or see a play being done in front of me, just remembering I, I got to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, so just in the years since then, done a lot of uh, Shakespeare. Um, my resume is really Shakespeare heavy and I didn't necessarily intend to do that, but um, it is what it is. I can I'll enjoy Random that tangent. Have you seen uh, the tragedy of Macbeth, the twenty twenty one? Oh, the uh, Joel Cohen one. Yeah. Yes, I have. Oh, yes, I have. Um, I I've, just watched it recently. It's so good. I got to play Malcolm in a production of that. Uh, mm. That's one of my favorite plays. I always tense up when I get ready to say the name, but we're not in a theater, so yeah. you can. Yeah. So it's an old superstition, right? Where you, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in a theater, yeah. don't say don't say Macbeth, and if you do, you got to turn around three times, go outside, you go outside, turn around three times, and spit. And we make people do that. Oh, uh, um, that's great. Oh yeah, it's it's one of those great theater traditions. But um, yeah, I, I have seen that one. Um, I've not seen the Polanski one. I need to. Um, but uh, I've seen the Michael Fassbender one, which is phenomenal. Okay. Um, but and I, I got to play Malcolm in a production of it. It's one of my favorite plays. But um, I want to play the title character one day. Mm-hmm. One day. There's um, also a great foreign film that like adapts it to um, that era of like samurai Japan called mm-hmm. Throne of Blood. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely phenomenal as well. Yeah, I have to definitely earmark that one. Um, it's one of my favorites by far. I, I typically tend to call it uh, either the Scottish play or the Caledonian tragedy. Uh-huh. Just because I always tense just 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 just, just to not you can't say be in the habit of just as just so I don't have to go out, go outside three times and spit <laughs> or turn around three times and spit. But uh, and that's that's just one of the Shakespeare things I've done. Um, uh, my resume uh, also includes um, a decent stretch of musicals, um, Men of La Mancha. Um, Beauty and the Beast. The, the I got to play Cogsworth in that, which was fun. So I won't go through my whole resume, but um, just twenty six yeah. years worth of 
theater and some film work in Nashville. I got to be uh, involved with a film that uh, actually made it into South by Southwest, which was pretty cool and got to work with some actors that I had actually seen on television, which was really neat. Um, and actually received some on-set training from a guy named Roger Brown, who okay. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Tall Tale. Uh, it was a Disney movie. It had Patrick Swayze yes. as Pecos Bill. So uh, wow. Roger played John Henry in that movie. He's a Carnegie Mellon trained actor. And we were on set and he just decides he wants to take me aside and do some steam studies with me. He took me aside and did some, we'd, he'd give me some cuts from the, from the movie mm -hmm. and uh did he did he trained me a little bit and mm -hmm. so lots of cool experiences like that on set and whatnot um and uh so i did a few films at watkins uh college of art design and film that's in nashville mm -hmm. they have since been absorbed by belmont yeah yeah okay. we had some friends when we lived in nashville we had some friends involved yeah. there yeah, yeah. absorbed they did yeah. um yeah belmont bought them out and then uh i've done some at uh Oh goodness, what was it? Uh, David Lipscomb. David oh yeah, Lipscomb. yeah. So um, done some work there. Um, so it's been twenty six years of not being able to put it down. I've actually tried to walk away from it a few times, mm. try and save myself some heartache. But <laughs> but you know, yeah. just when I think I'm out, they pull me back. Oh, yeah. What an love it. Right. We love. Well, it. okay. So you mentioned acting as storytelling. Yes. Right? I love that. What, when you're watching a film, what might you notice in performance that, like, the average moviegoer might not since they haven't, like, done it themselves? That's a good question. So, you know, for me, it's um, about... For one thing, there's 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 technical there's the technical stuff. Mm -hmm. Can you? Because even if you have a, and this is it's even more paramount in theater acting, but mm. especially if you're in a big space. Yeah. But you know, there's the technical aspects of just diction, pronunciation, and just being heard by the microphone. Because yeah. there are some actors that even if you have a boom mic over them, or even if you have a lavalier mic, which is on their person. They speak so low that you uh, really can't hear them very well and they don't really enunciate their sounds or consonants aren't super crisp. Great actors have that issue. There are some great actors that have that issue. I mean, if you look at um, just one that's quiet, and this is not a slight to him in the least, it's just he's a quiet actor, is Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. He's a very quiet, very quiet actor. Um, so just things like that, I'll notice, like, there's, there's some... There are some actors that I'll just sit there and go, and it's not exciting. It's not like the, you know, quote unquote, sexy part of acting. Yeah. Like, oh, their 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 diction is so perfect. <laughs> but, you know, it it's it's that kind of thing where it's like, I can hear every consonant this actor's saying. So something like that. Something that I notice a lot is just when you're an actor, you know, you, you go in and you, uh, your first stop when you're an actor is just you're doing excavation of the script mm -hmm. and you um, create your character from what other people say about your character in the script, what your character says about your character in the script mm -hmm. and what the writer tells you about your character in the script. Mm -hmm. And um, when you do that, you get to, there are some things that are left up to you mm -hmm. as, as the artist. And that's when, what, you could just call a character choice. You know, you make a choice mm -hmm. 
you know, like in a lot of acting training I've had done where, or I've been, I've done, you know, I'll do a monologue or something and I'll have a, I'll have a director or a, or a casting person say, well, that was interesting. So what led you to that choice? You know, um, you know, so just the choices actors make, right. So they, um, they do something or choose a way to respond to something, uh, in a scene. Um, and they, uh, can be very interesting choices. They can be very obvious choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so notice stuff like that. Something else I would say would be um, specificity. Mm. So people don't really think about this, but good acting comes from a high degree of specificity in your choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you really got to nail down and be specific about in every scene. Um, and, and, you know, of course, through the whole script, you have your super objective as your actor, uh, you know, yeah. as an actor. And then you've got your scene to scene objectives and really. Uh, and I'll come back to this. Well, when we're discussing the the, the plot points of the movie and the, mm-hmm. and the acting and um, but um, being specific about what your objective is, doing your homework doing your homework as far as what specifically is the obstacle to my objective? What's my tactic going to be to get around this ob- obstacle yeah. to get to my objective in every scene? Uh, so noticing stuff like that, just spe- specific choices. Um, just to give an example of what I mean, there's a scene um, in the movie, spoiler alert, where... Uh, <laughs> We're going to do a whole plot summary here. Right. So this is more for people who have seen it and want to be uh, spoiled. Yeah, there we go. Good yeah. deal. Uh, so there's that scene where um, Michael and somebody else are standing outside the hospital and they're waiting on some bad... They, they just yeah. know some bad guys are going to show up and yeah. mess with Don Corleone. And um, he, the guy is not a professional. Uh, mm-hmm. Gal Pacino, uh, yeah. not him, but the other guy, yeah. is not a professional like killer or a hitman or anything like that and so he goes to light a cigarette and he is shaking yeah and now pacino makes the specific choice of not shaking with mm-hmm. the lighter because michael is a former marine he's cool under pressure yeah. and that's one of michael's character traits right is being yeah. cool under pressure so a specific choice like that and pacino if you'll notice in that scene takes a moment after he lights after both cigarettes are lit to kind of he doesn't overdo it because Al Pacino's mm-hmm. a good actor and isn't going to overdo it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he acknowledges that in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that you can pick it up as an audience member. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by specificity. Yeah. One of the things I mean by specificity. So really, it's that kind of stuff I'm looking for. And I'm looking for um, just in general, you know, um, I think it was Meisner that said uh, that really summed it up as saying, uh, for those of you who don't know, Sanford Meisner was one of the really penultimate acting teachers that studied mm-hmm. under Stanislavski um, and continue, and took Stanislavski's method further out into the world up in New York City. Um, uh-huh. And uh, he said that it's, it's just living truthfully under an imagined set of circumstances. Hmm. So just generally looking for that, you know, um, yeah. and uh, that's that those are the kind of things that 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 I'm looking for. Um, you know, some people might just call that, you know, being believable. Yeah, yeah. So those are the things that I'm kind of focusing on whenever I'm looking at a performance. Totally. That is fascinating and leads us right to The Godfather. Yes, absolutely. This is, I mean, everything you just said, Ethan, 
this is such a good movie to yeah. hear your feelings yeah. and opinions on. I mean, <laughs> we, so we, we had a bunch of people over this week to, to screen the Godfather, including Ethan and, you know, it ends and everyone's like, we'd all seen it before. Other people had not, they were really excited to see it because, you know, it's so important. I think Brian, you made the comment, like there's not a single scene in this movie that you could take out. There's yeah. nothing that's like redundant or unnecessary. The acting yeah. is phenomenal. So let's get into a plot summary Okay, so on the day of his daughter, I'm not here. <laughs> that was pretty good. Oh, you've done it now. Now you have to do the rest of the podcast with it. Oh, um, this I we talking about getting canceled. Um, so on the day of his daughter's wedding, Vito Corleone, a New York City mob boss in the 1940s, holds court as friends and acquaintances come to him with requests. Vito decides to pass on an opportunity to get into the narcotics business, fearing that it would be viewed as a less respectable by his political connections and by law enforcement. As a result, Vito is gunned down by a rival mob family and nearly killed. Sonny, Vito's firstborn, takes over as mob boss while Vito is incapacitated. Michael, Vito's youngest son, who is not involved in the family business, thwarts an attempt on Vito's life at the hospital and forms a plan to kill those responsible. Since one of the people he kills is a corrupt police chief, it's necessary for him to hide out in Italy until it all blows over. As a result of the events thus far, the rival mob gangs known as the Five Families are in open war, resulting in the massacring of Sonny. Vito meets with the Five Families and forgoes revenge in exchange for peace. Vito then dies of a heart attack while playing with his grandson. During the baptism of his godson, Michael, who has now taken over as mob boss, conducts hits on the bosses of the five families and his would-be betrayers. Yes. So. I left a bunch of stuff out. You left a bunch of stuff out. It jumped around. But this, I mean, that's the thing is this movie is like, it doesn't feel like a lot until it's over. Of course, it's three hour, three and a half hours long. It spans years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like seven ish years yeah. so you really got a lot going on um but i think yeah. the biggest thing particularly for michael's character who's who's played by al pacino is that he goes from returns home from world war ii a war hero no no desire to become part of the family business from anybody really like his dad's cool with him not being involved all this and you kind of see his slowly kind of coming to grips with his destiny and that he will now take over the family business um over the course of these many years yeah that's that's really the arc and it is based on um a book often when you get movies that are based on books they do tend to be plot heavy like this but the best one i find (laughs) and this is my uh Third time watching The Godfather. I'd say it was the best one yet. I absolutely adore this movie even more now uh, mm-hmm. than I did the first two times. But I often find when you're watching movies that are based on novels, you can miss a lot of the plot, the fr- especially like the first time through. But if the movie still, like a good movie will still work, even if you miss some of the like finer plot details or can't keep track of like who all the characters are in relation to each other. Like this time I understood who, you know, Al Pacino is killing in the restaurant and why. 
the first time I watched this, I don't think I did, but it was still a really effective moment, right? Yeah, Uh, so I think, I think it's just a lot of old Italian men and like mm -hmm. grainy 70s production quality. If you're looking for like a name tag, like (laughs) if you could stand up and say your name and say your relation to Al Pacino and like, (laughs) you know, which mob family you're part of, I think I got every plot point until the very last scene when everyone's dying. I'm like, okay, which one are you? That like, is a lot, of, yeah. And then, but then you realize it's just all the mob bosses and, yeah. and Mo Green from the casino. Like it's yeah, just, yeah. he's just cleaning house. Um, But you're right, it, it it's important, of course, but also it doesn't take away from the experience if you get a little bit confused because really yeah. you're watching, this movie is about um, Michael's descent into mm-hmm. this, yeah. this destiny for himself. And this, the one thing that this script does um, that a lot of uh, American scripts do nowadays is every script is on a sliding scale of how much they spoon feed their audience, right? Mm-hmm. And this is not a film that spoon feeds you. It respects its audience enough to say they can put this together. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and not many films are made like that anymore yeah. or written yeah. like that. Um, and to your point, Brian, about the adaptation, um, you know, Coppola really did a phenomenal job of taking this yeah. from a book because um, adaptations, you can have great source material and just have a terrible adaptation and mm-hmm. some source material adapts better than others. I was really impressed with Denis Villeneuve adapting Dune because yes. that's one of the most unfilmable books <laughs> I have ever read in my life. I read it and I went, <laughs> how in the world do you create an entertaining narrative from the first half of this book, but he managed to do it. So it's all in that adaptation. Yeah. And I think that, and we'll get into, I'll get into later about how the, I think how I think the adaptation served the actors very well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that the, the, the adaptation of Mario Puzo's uh, novel was, was really well done by, by Coppola yeah. on this one. I think you, this movie, you're right, Ethan, that it doesn't spoon feed. It gives you the plot, but it also doesn't do like an Ingmar Bergman, <laughs> like a David Lynch, where you're like, what just happened? What am I supposed to think and feel? It's very straightforward yeah. mm-hmm. without being like, okay, little baby, now here is exactly who this person is and why you're doing these things. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. much like, it's a straightforward story. And the story is so good that... It explains itself. Absolutely, it is just, great. It is, and it's hard. It is kind of a straightforward mm-hmm. story. Um, just definitely my preference. Mm-hmm. This whole list is all over the place. But I like, <laughs> like a story, I like a yeah. A to B to C to D. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing, though. I mean, you know, some. I think some of the, I mean, a complicated story can make for a great, entertaining story. But I think the ones that ultimately end up sticking with people are the are mm-hmm. the simple ones. Absolutely. Um, just we just because you can take a, a complicated story and tell it really badly or really well, and same thing for a simple story. You can tell it really yeah. badly or really well. You know, yes. I think this is a perfect example of a simple story mm-hmm. told very well. Mm-hmm. And it's like Brian mentioned, um, and and you mentioned just now, Anna, that you could, there's not really a scene that you could cut mm-hmm. from this movie. And I would go as far as to say there's not a whole lot of dialogue that you could cut no. from this movie either. And there's nothing more that's needed. It's not right. like I need an extra scene explaining exactly who Michael killed and why he killed them. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
or anything like that. Because it would just be a lot of expository dialogue, yeah. right? It would just be, you know, it, it could just be exposition. Um, so we, 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 we talked about yeah, the, uh, uh, in Psycho, mm -hmm. the psychiatrist scene at the end where you get like five minutes of just like explanation and how that sort of like mm -hmm. is an infamous example in like a masterpiece of a movie of just like over explaining. Yeah. Um, For sure. The guy that wrote and developed uh, Yellowstone and mm -hmm. its spinoff, Taylor Sheridan, yes. has said that he's allergic to exposition. <laughs> um, and one thing I like about the the Godfather is that it's told simply, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have a lot of. I don't think we have one. Do we have even have one flashback? No. I mean, it is literally. I mean, it's it's not like a Tarantino film. It's linear yeah. storytelling, but it it's it's got so much momentum in it yes. that it just, I mean, yeah, it's three hours, but it's just, it's not a chore to watch mm -hmm. at all, you know? Yeah. A one year later would be a little helpful. Yes, <laughs> that would be a little bit Because all of a sudden it's like, okay, so Michael's got a three-year-old. There was a point where it was like... Well, that's your one year later. That's your yeah. three or whichever yeah. later. Like yeah. you just, but it takes a little bit to be like, okay, who's this kid? Yeah. Okay, that's why we're later. Um, mm -hmm. and then, yeah, so there, that part, I mean, I enjoy it. I think it, it kind of draws you in because you're like, okay, where are we? What's mm -hmm. happening? Instead of being, because it's, like you said, it's straightforward. There are these time jumps or, you know, going further into the future and all that. Yeah. Um, it was funny though, because at the very beginning of the movie, I don't think any of us remembered that it was set in the forties. And so mm -hmm. we were all like, Ethan, I think it was you who's like, when was this set? Because it's not like now where you've got yeah. like On much point. dedication to historical everything. It's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. it's like Sunny has sideburns. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah, you messy, know. like a messy mop top with the sun. Yeah. yeah. And and the fact and so you've got Michael comes in in his World War II soldier's uniform. Yeah. I mean, and I said I said something about the uniform, and I thought it, for some reason he was sitting down. I didn't see the globe and anchor on his on his uniform, um, and I said I said Army. That's actually a Marine Corps uniform, oh, and okay. and actually the Marine Corps Class A's. Those are called you. You guys might know that those are called Class A's. Okay, those have not changed in since World War Two really oh, cool. much. Okay, but um, there was just what really tipped me off was just. A lot of the suiting, there was a lot of double-breasted suits, mm -hmm. wide lapels, but it didn't look, it didn't look like it was 70s. But it's like you pointed out, Hannah, you know, I think if the Godfather were made today, yeah. I think there'd be a lot more precise costuming. Um, the big thing would be a lot more, uh, the hair. It's the hair. Yeah. And also, I think makeup, because like, I think that makeup would have mm -hmm. helped a little bit more dedication to makeup. Of course, back then... You didn't have high def, and so right. like some some of that would have a lot of that would just go by the wayside. Mm -hmm. But the, the, to me, makeup would have helped to show like Michael aging a little yeah. bit mm -hmm. and and all that kind of stuff. But, also, also, the um that they're Italian, and I didn't know if like you know non Italian culture, like how they dress might be a little bit more old world Italians yeah. in the seventies. Yeah. But they, then there was a point where they're driving cars and you're like forties. Like that was giveaway. so clear. But it was after you had already looked it up. And it was just Yeah. It, yeah. Oh the cars. Yeah. And if you'll notice um uh, in the scene where um 
I forget his name. Um, the the guy takes the the the, the driver, the guy that was sick, I think, out. Polly. And you can see the Statue of Liberty out in the background. If you look at the car window, there's a sticker that says A on it in the windshield. Okay. That's actually a gas ration coupon from uh... World War II. And so um, that little Easter egg is also kind of one of those dead giveaways. And I'm assuming A was like the best class because they're mobsters in with the politicians. And the I would guess. <laughs> I would guess. All right. Well, yeah, somebody that was alive back then. <laughs> let's get into some of the performances um, from this movie. So, Ethan, you had mentioned something uh, before we started recording about some of these actors being in sort of the same acting school or having some like interrelation mm -hmm. i thought that was really interesting yeah so you know um so this is this i could kind of get kind of leaping with this but i'll try to yeah. be as concise as possible sure so you know pre so as movies were starting to take off you know talking movies with sound were starting yeah. to really take off it called for a new style of acting because Cameras were getting a little bit better. We had sound now. And movies were coming a little bit more mainstream. Accessibility was not, not near what it is today, right? But, I mean, yeah. you know, accessibility was getting a little bit better. So, and up until then, um, acting had been very, um, you may have heard these terms, it had been very presentational. Hmm. Um, when you think presentational, think like, you know, a Shakespearean actor on stage, yeah. very stylized performance. Because you got to get over the sixty, you got to get over the sixty foot rule. You know what you're doing has to get picked up from two feet away. And even in old movies, you had a lot of actors that would do very big facial expressions, very big motions, naturalism, and and actually saying what would a human being just actually just do naturally under yeah. these circumstances, as opposed okay. to thinking about what are we trying to convey. Mm -hmm. It's more about just what what a human do yeah um and so that style of acting really took off and um so when would you say that was because you know you think of like humphrey bogart and carrie grant and jimmy stewart mm -hmm. i mean jimmy stewart maybe is a little bit more naturalistic but mm -hmm. yeah. they're really doing like there's an old hollywood style right there is acting. where's the money belly <laughs> yes and that's called <laughs> yeah and that's called the mid-atlantic accent um, <laughs> and it was used and because they called it the mid-atlantic because who lives in the mid-atlantic nobody it's an ocean nobody <laughs> actually talks that way nobody <laughs> has that accent right yeah. nobody in the real world has that accent but they used it in the movies mm -hmm. um and so um so this probably took off around the 30s and 40s as yeah. as movie making got a little bit more uh a little bit more um well-rounded with sound and whatnot and mm -hmm. cameras got a little better um so the guy that really kind of kicked it off was a guy named Konstantin Stanislavski who was a Russian um I forget what the theater was called uh in Russia um but he was um an actor he did a lot of uh Chekhov and that's kind of okay. where we that's kind of where we start with contemporary drama we start with Chekhov typically yeah um and Stanislavski had been in some of Chekhov's plays and was um uh a member of a theater I can't remember the name of the theater it escapes me but uh in Russia 
And you had three major acting teachers that were American that learned from him. Uh, Stella Adler, Sanford Meisner, and Lee Strasberg. Okay. And this, the, this kind of had a, the hive of activity for these people mm-hmm. was New York City back yep. in the day. And there was a group theater called the Group Theater. And this is the technique that kind of came out of that group. And Stella Adler actually was one of the people that taught Marlon Brando. Hmm. He trained under her. Marlon Brando was really the first guy. And this is an unpopular opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't think that Marlon Brando was that much better than a lot of actors we've had working in the 20th and 21st centuries. Hmm. But he was the first to really take a big leap into realism and naturalism. He was kind of one of the first guys to really do it. It's kind of like Patron. Not necessarily the best tequila out there, but they were the first ones in the market besides the low-grade Cuervo. It's kind of like like that as an analogy. But um, so you had Marlon Brando. And of course, I was before the podcast, you know, I was kind of connecting dots and things. But Marlon Brando got his start in Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was directed by Elliot Kazan, who later directed the movie, yeah. which had Vivian Lee with along with Marlon Brando. Um, Excellent movie. Oh, man. I want to. That's that's on my bucket list of parts to play, Stanley Kowalski. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 something. Um, but Elia Kazan was one of the founders of the Actors Studio, who has produced, who's people that have been affiliated with that. You've got Al Pacino being one. Um, I think De Niro was associated with them. I know Harvey Keitel was. Um, Bradley Cooper is a graduate, a more recent graduate of the Actors Studio. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, the thing about show business, from what I understand, I, of course, mm-hmm. I'm on the, I am not on that level, but um, it once you get to a certain level, especially mm-hmm. in either New York or Los Angeles, the world gets very small. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's just a perfect example of how small yeah. that that world can get. So, yeah, there's lots of little interlinkages, you know, coming out of this era of, yeah. of, of actors. Yeah, and you've got, so when this movie was made, you know, we, of course it's star-studded. Some of its star-studded nature, though, comes from how famous this movie is and how good a career these actors had afterwards. So you've got Brando, who's obviously very famous and very established at this point already. Other than him, like, it's star-studded, but most of these people haven't been in, like, a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Like, their most famous roles are still to come, for mm-hmm. sure, for yes. almost all of them. So you've got uh, James Pond. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at no, that this, this morning. No, Elf. That's probably his Elf? most famous role. That's actually probably his most seen movie other than this. Well, yeah. <laughs> I would say. Maybe, maybe um, Elf is more seen than this because it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. You know? Right? Yeah. And then uh, El Dorado, the John Wayne. El Dorado, movie. that was before this. Yeah. It was? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, because that so was... So that was his, like, major now. role before... Yeah. 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 Yeah, so it's definitely one of Howard Hawks' later films, and John Wayne is, yes. is definitely older, but um, but James Caan is, is in that as well. But then he's in, you know, he's in Misery, he's in mm-hmm. Thief. He's in a lot of good stuff, you know, still to come. Absolutely. Uh, 
Robert Duvall had been in some stuff, but nothing really like iconic or famous. Right. This. For some reason, like this is the second time that a third watch of the movie, I'm like, oh my goodness, Robert Duvall is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it takes three watches for me to realize it, but this one and Network, he is so good in Network as well. And my third watch of Network, I was like, how did I not realize how great Robert Duvall was in this? Um, Al Pacino, this is, you'd mentioned maybe he'd done some stage work before this, but this is his third movie ever. Yeah. And the the first two are not, you know, well known. I would imagine he's done some stage work. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to that portion of my homework, yeah. but um, it's, you know, if you're coming up, yeah. Being a training as an actor in New York and mm -hmm. in in his era, you really, yeah, you know, you really, mm -hmm. um, you, you there, it, it, it would be almost inconceivable that he'd not mm -hmm. done some stage work before this. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got Diane Keaton, who's going to do, you know, some Annie really Hall. iconic stuff with Annie Hall. That's funny. I was pretty shortly, and yeah, saying, you know. My mom was like, you know, I think Diane Keaton, I think Annie Hall. And I'm like, I think Diane Keaton, I think something's got to give. That's yes! So yeah. it up. Yes! Our first uh, rom-coms to watch. I don't know, podcast listeners, we've told you about this, but for every foreign movie that Brian, or non-English non speaking movie that Brian makes me watch, uh, as a result of preparing for this podcast, I get to make him watch we said something Nancy Myers-esque, you know? Yeah. But I might expand it to just general rom-com or girl mm -hmm. flick. See, this Nancy is the Myers. problem love where it. I, like, make an off-handed comment once. And, I and then watch. Hannah latches on and does not. My, like, like, yeah, she's a trap, trap, baby. For a movie, we could, like, watch a rom-com or something. <laughs> she's like, no, real. No. You said this one much more like, I'll make you a deal, sweetheart. Like, that is <laughs> that how you remember. Yeah. Well, sorry, maybe you shouldn't make so many offhanded comments, bro. All right. Back to actors. Uh, <laughs> there's also, so one more like established performer would be uh, Sterling Hayden, who's well known uh, in the 50s for being in some uh, Stanley Kubrick movies, uh, notably. So he's the uh, corrupt police chief. Ah. And um, he's. He's very iconic as General Ripper in Doctor Strangelove, mm -hmm. um, but he's also the lead in uh, one of Kubrick's first uh, uh, films, The Killing, um, and he's very good in that as well. So, so you do have a couple more established players, but really, it's star-studded because these this movie made them stars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk through some of these performances. I don't know if we have enough time to hit them all, but what stood out to you from a performance standpoint in this movie? You know, what stood out to me, first of all, was that Brando would have probably been the driving force behind, you know, getting this as far as actors go. And once yeah. he, like... When you're making a movie, you got to do you got to do some things in order to get it made. And I think that probably getting Brando attached was one of the things that they did to just be like, you know, probably help get it made. I don't know that yeah. for certain. And I know that there was actually somebody else that was also up mm -hmm. for the role. I don't remember who at this point. If it comes to me, yeah. I'll try and chime in. But um, it's interesting. So this is part of the new Hollywood movement 
this is a time in Hollywood history where a lot of big like musical productions were not doing well at the box office a bunch of foreign films had started doing well and so hollywood responded by giving young directors a lot of money and a lot of freedom and so this is one of the things that comes into that but like you said about brando it's so interesting that he gives this iconic performance in this movie because he's such an established old Mm -hmm. Hollywood guy that for him to really kick off new Hollywood does give it like this sense of legitimacy. And this doesn't, it's more uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde that kicks off new Hollywood than this, but this is definitely a moment in film history when this movie comes out. It is. And what shocked, what what surprised me and what stood out to me was, you know, Brando is the icon associated with this movie. He's on the cover of all the Blu-rays. He's the one that everybody quotes and stuff. Usually people do impressions of him. Mm-hmm. And I think that the character that he created was really something special because he was not that old in this mm-hmm. movie. I mean, he was, I don't think he was even 50 when they shot this. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, um, but what's what stood out to me was that as far as performances, I mean, and this may be an unpopular opinion, I thought Pacino blew him away. Mm. Um, I thought Pacino's performance had such specificity to it. Yeah. Um, and he portrayed an arc so well mm-hmm. that um he gets the arc and the emotional core of the movie where Brando yes. is more just a presence and a passing the buck. Brando gets more iconic lines probably yes. than Pacino does, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I get I it. Pacino yeah. is also more of a wild card, right? Because we haven't seen him in anything. You know, people mm-hmm. came, I mean, Brando was so known, respected. It was, it was, assumed that he would have this powerful presence and Pacino we really didn't know what to expect from him coming into this no, people didn't want him yeah the execs didn't want him really did they have someone else slated I don't know um I just know that um they didn't want him Coppola actually for like the first little bit of shooting this film was afraid they were gonna fire him mm-hmm. um yeah it was, it was a real concern on the part of Coppola and he kind of actually had to take some action to kind of stave it off interesting um I love when studio execs are wrong right which gets <laughs> generally ha- which generally happens a lot um yeah, the funny doesn't mean you're right about everything right yes. um but that really stood out to me was was Pacino I was not I don't know that I was quite ready for him to be that good um yeah I mean I know he's Al Pacino but you know the one thing that sticks out to me about well, I'll, I'll wait until we get into specific performances, mm-hmm. but... Um, you know, though, you know, ha- having, you know, been born when I was, I'm more familiar with, like, his work in the 90s sure. than, you know, his work in the 70s. And that can get real bombastic real quick. Yes. And he's not really that in this. No. He's making simpler, effective choices mm-hmm. that work really well. Very understated. Um, and that's something that Robert Duvall is really good about, too, being understated. There's a point mm-hmm. in the scene. Down, Ozzy. Down, Ozzy. There's a point in the scene where um, Duvall's at the, what do you call it? Um, the studio exec's house. When he's trying to get the singer that yes. part in that movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a time when the studio exec is kind of flying off the handle and he's mad. 
And he's kind of trying to tell Robert Duvall what for. And Robert Duvall gets this look on his face. And God bless the camera operator. He caught it. And it was so perfect. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the subtlety of it was really nice. And you're right. I think um, Pacino does a lot of good subtlety, subtle work yeah. in this. And one thing that stood out to me about Pacino was that he didn't mind to let stuff breathe. Yeah. He did not mind to take his pauses to allow his performance. He 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 let his performance breathe, which is tough to do as an actor on film because especially back then, because you gotta think, back then in particular, if a camera's rolling, it's using film. Yeah. And film ain't cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's literally every second of shooting costs the studio money. I mean, it still does, of course, yeah, but yeah. It, it cost me even more money. So to, for Al Pacino to be able to take take that and let his performance really breathe and let those moments have their time appropriately, mm-hmm. um, I think shows, you know, how just just how good the mm-hmm. guy is. Yeah. All right. One one more performance I wanted to shout out was uh, was James Kahn's performance as Sonny. I think it's a really key part and maybe more difficult to appreciate, but he has to form a, for this movie to work as well as it does, he has to form a contrast to both what Brando's doing as Vito and like the old way of Mm -hmm. doing things. And he has to form a contrast um with Pacino mm-hmm. and this like uh not being involved in the family bu- you know Michael's not involved in the family business Sonny is very involved in the family business mm-hmm. and so you get this this sort of contrast between the two of them and I just think he's really effective in the part I have a lot of feelings about this one yeah so um not to make everything about succession but there's going to be some parallels have you watched succession ethan i have tried twice oh. i've watched several episodes and you know i just have such a hard time watching i can watch you a movie and sit through a movie mm-hmm. but sitting through an entire show season after season where the show is just full of despicable characters oh i get it That's yeah fair. i just i can't I, there's something about it's a great story, I'm sure. Just not necessarily a story I necessarily am enjoying hearing. Yeah. Okay. Succession yeah. show you really want to be able to binge, but you really need to space out week by week. Like, yeah. this last season, it was like, I need a week to recover from what just happened to me. Anyway, so I won't I won't give any spoilers then. But, mm-hmm. so I think that Sonny's character is, I mean, he's the, he's the eldest boy. <laughs> I'm the eldest boy! <laughs> he's the eldest boy, but he's, you know... His entire life being the eldest, he's known, I'm going to take over this family. From the time of understanding that his dad was the Don, Sonny kind of expected or maybe was groomed to be, or maybe Vito even allowed him to think that he would be taking over one day. And so that creates in him already this like pride about, I can do this, I'm going to do this. Um, But he's a hothead Mm -hmm. and he doesn't, necessarily contain the qualities over just having the relational position to step into this role um and i think 
He really likes that he can send Fredo off to go do something. He can, and he loves that um, Michael isn't interested in being part of the family. I think for him, he might already know that Michael maybe more possesses the temperament to do this job and do it well. But he doesn't see Michael as a threat. And he almost bolsters his like, well, you're our war hero. You're our guy. Not from a like jealous perspective, but just from like Sonny's entire identity is becoming the Dawn one day. Um, And I, I just think it's such an interesting that really can affect how you view yourself and how you view your role, mm. knowing that you're positioned for something so great. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm kind of, I mean, I'm not happy that anyone dies, but for the sake of the family, that Sunny does not take over. And Michael, though he never really wanted it, is more thrust into this role. And I think it's mm-hmm. a big commentary on sometimes greatness and 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 power and authority should be given to the people who don't necessarily want it. Um, but know that they possess the qualities that mean that make that makes them a good fit for it. Yeah. I don't know. I I have so much sympathy for Sunny though. Yeah. One of the guys. But I think and he the wants death to is do the so right surprising thing. because yeah. it's a non-mob related subplot really of his sister's husband is beaten on her and he's going to like take care of it yeah and what a performance by talia shire by the oh, way i mean that's because yeah. that big emotion like that is so hard to pull off and yeah. pull off honestly for because it's, it's it's i hate the word hysterical but it's an hysterical performance like it's very much this just like fully guttural reaction but i think also like sunny's death is kind mm, it's kind of his fault like he was a hothead in public, beat on his brother-in-law in public. Word travels. No mm-hmm. wonder Sonny's enemies are going to then go to... Was it Carlo? No. Um, Connie? It's something with a C because it was a little... Connie and Carlo. I think it's Carlo. It is I Carlo? Think, I think you're right. So that Sonny's enemies are going to go to Carlo and be like, hey, you just got embarrassed in public. You want yeah. to do something about yeah. that? Right. So it's like Sonny's death, though a tragedy, is a little bit self-inflicted. Um, well, it kind of shows the difference between, you know, Mike. Another difference between Michael and Sonny. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like the short fuse is usually the, the the person with the short fuse is usually the smaller bomb. Mm-hmm. The person with the longer fuse is typically the bigger bomb okay. because Michael is cold. Yeah, and yeah. when when Carlo pisses off, or excuse me for the podcast, makes uh, uh, makes. Uh, uh, Sonny mad Sonny goes and beats the snot out of him in public yeah he makes Michael mad Michael doesn't do anything for a while yeah and then he kills him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so longer fuse bigger bomb you yeah. know and you know one thing that is kind of an understated point of the movie is that really Michael's role is supposed to be taking the family legitimate you know, uh, like yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, he talks to, there's talks in the movie about how the family wants to go legitimate and, and lose the criminal element so that they don't have to worry about it. Because thing about, thing about being in a criminal enterprise, it's just like any other business typically, yeah. but you have much higher liability mm-hmm. because there's no insurance. Can't, nobody's going to insure it in your, yeah. your business if you're, you know, if it's, if it's criminal. Yeah. 
Um, and you can lose your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what happens, because there's no rules. Yeah. So um and really what happens to Michael here is just it's a true it's a tragedy in the true sense of this is a this is a dark movie if you choose to take it that way. I mean you could be all like broy and yeah, go Michael and kill all these people, but it's it's dark. It's really deeply sad for him what happens throughout the course of this movie you know it's such a it's such a commentary on you know you could you could talk about this movie and the role of and 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 the implications on masculinity (laughs) you could talk about that for a week you know yeah but, this, is, this is the movie for the boys really we had uh, mostly females over to watch this which yeah was really like, funny. you and i were the only guys yeah. we had like five more women you know and i was like hey let's do it um let's do it let's see it let's see because i i knew that i knew that uh I, I was surprised that uh that yeah. uh, ariel in particular didn't just eviscerate all the characters <laughs> during the movie but um i mean it's a commentary on masculinity right i it mean is. And one of the points that I brought up, I think, um, is that this is very medieval. It's a very medieval power structure. And it's funny because you'll even see government in today's world. You know, I practice law in a very mm-hmm. small um, county. I'm not going to say which county. <laughs> but um, and I've, I've, I've been a lawyer in several counties. And it's funny how even though it's, we have a democratic republic and judges are, you know, democratically elected it's funny that it seems like all power structures in so because all power structures are kind of elastic in nature yeah it's funny how they all tend to gravitate back towards being medieval in nature Mm. and this is a perfect example of a no holds barred yeah we're totally medieval Uh yeah you know there is no sham there is no we're trying Mm -hmm. to be something else this is we are medieval and being mm-hmm. and you know yet i think you just have to take it for what it was i mean you know mm-hmm. being my undergraduate degree is in history and mm-hmm. you know one one big mistake that people make a lot of times in trying to understand the past is you can't understand the past and approach it objectively mm-hmm. if you are reading values that are popular today back into history yeah absolutely and so being a you know man particularly a man that's in such a medieval scenario this was what was necessary yeah it was necessary to take the attitudes of you know that that they took but you could have a whole conversation about masculinity in this but you can you can get very broy about this movie yeah i think it's taking it a little too far it's like these are not role models yeah yeah you know um these, are, a, these, these are not role models there's a, a famous uh martin scorsese meme where it's a, a fake quote of martin scorsese saying like i uh fully support all of the characters in my movie i endorse all of the gangsters particularly the murders yeah like, all of this, yeah. Uh, like clearly like just because you put something on the screen doesn't mean that it's your perspective it's a really interesting um, 
moral system that they've created in this culture though yeah and you know the sopranos explores well, it have you really deeply well. i've seen i've seen an episode here and there okay. yeah um so but the sopranos is really building upon the groundwork that this movie sets in terms of like the moral system of the italian mob and you've got this like the family comes first ethos that's mm -hmm. really important to them uh the importance of you know being a godfather um you've got like what is acceptable and what is not acceptable to mm -hmm. them in terms of like the you know the the murder is acceptable and even like the you know the the husband beaten on his wife i feel like i've seen in other media portrayed like where the italian mob is like if you're married whatever goes on in your marriage is not our business but you know if you're not married then we're going to get involved and that's not the case here so i find it interesting that like the moral system is as perverse as it is and yet they still do believe like they're doing the right thing according to their ethos and worldview yeah yeah, yeah. people are 100 able very few people yeah. have <laughs> absolutely no regard for humanity no capacity for love no capacity for empathy i think no that of right and wrong. It, mm -hmm. it's you know italian americans were very marginalized for a long time mm -hmm. were considered black for a very long time like mm -hmm. these structures came about out of necessity and survival i think what's yeah. funny is i think most of the movies we watch have themes of survival yeah doing what you gotta do to get by which is super human super understandable mm -hmm. or patriarchy is crap <laughs> you know or there are things yeah and so or the patriarchy and or just current social or social yeah, structure yeah. which is the patriarchy is crap and so i think this movie has a little bit of both but i think you see so much in this film and in this this type of culture like family is everything obligation yeah. to family honoring family is so much yeah this idea of loyalty is so huge here too i mean you see in like the first scene or the 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 wedding scene where you've got you know different people coming to don corleone um with requests and it's he's it's either to reestablish devotion or loyalty or to yeah, just basically say, like, I'm here, I'm for you. My everlasting loyalty is to this family. It's tribute. It's, it's, it's medieval tribute. It's, it's, it's for protection. fealty. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's medieval. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Game of Thrones, it's been the knee. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's so much here. And mm -hmm. I think that that's so huge because, you know, this comes out of a group of people having mm -hmm. to essentially govern and protect themselves because either the government... It's feudal and the government didn't really exist for them. Or it's Italian history in America, where America wasn't for them for mm -hmm. so long. And so, say, you know, you can, of course, dislike murder, dislike narcotics trade, dislike all these things, and, and even go as far as to condone or to mm -hmm. not condone murder. 
um, condemn murder. That's what I'm going for. Right. Um, and still also understand a little bit like, okay, I get why they're doing these things. This isn't so far off. It's not so close that I would ever consider them myself, but it's not like unreasonable to, un- to, to see how this structure has shown up and why it exists. And it, you know, there's a, there's a morale. It's, it's interesting. The intersection of morality and masculinity in this, because mm-hmm. to them, it would be amoral to be what they would call, I guess, you know, basically a sissy, you know, because yeah. if you in that world where these are the given circumstances, this is how we live. This is the, this is the, the code we have. You, you know, in, if you can't protect what you've got and you are not willing to do violence, to in order to protect it because it's necessary mm-hmm. you're not doing what you've got to be doing mm-hmm. you know um so it's amoral to not be that yeah. that's a good point um it's it's and i love the juxtaposition that they that they very clearly do a juxtaposition of morality when they're christening the, the uh uh yeah talia's oh. talia shire's baby yeah. and it's interspersed with michael Having these yeah. people murdered, and he's sitting there. Do you believe in God the Father? Yes. Oh, bang. Oh. Do you believe in this? Yes. Bang. You know, and that's so brilliant, right? But the thing is, he's not. He doesn't believe that those are contradictory. Exactly. Yeah. So yes. That I. Yeah. That what he's doing is is right in yeah. his sense of morality. Yeah, and I thought that moment was in The Godfather 2. I had it mixed up. So when it went there, I was just like, I was not emotionally prepared for (laughs) the the evil, really, Uh you know. And yeah, it's it's dark. Yeah, it is. And Pacino, you know, so one of the first scenes that was shot, there's the famous eye scene. Yeah, yeah. So going back to Al Pacino's performance for a split second, you know, they a lot of a lot of people um, in the acting world say that good film acting is all in the eyes. Because hmm. um, and even think about it, it makes sense because you know, especially when this movie prepared or uh, uh, premiered and was out in theaters, his eyes moving around and that close up shot on him. His eyes moving around could be literally like eight to 12 square feet moving mm-hmm. around on a wall in front of you. Yeah. Now, if you're on stage, nobody's going to pick that up. Right. But on and on, on screen, you've got like how many square feet exactly. of his eyes yeah. going nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they say that good acting for film is all in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot going on. Oh yeah, under and, that, and that's like a famous moment yeah, in that scene. Oh, it's so good, and maybe the best of this. But I also noticed um, there's a couple of like long zoom outs that Coppola just gives the performances such room to breathe. Mm-hmm. One of them is to open the movie. I think it's on Clemenza as he's uh, talking to Brando. And you get this real long zoom out, and then you see, you know, Brando's profile. Oh, the guy that's asking yeah. for a favor. Yeah, the guy no, that's asking no, for a favor. That's Bonacera. Bonacera. Oh, yeah, the one his daughter was. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, and actually, that was peak technology at that time really? to get that kind of 
yeah zoom out and, and keep focused yeah. and then there's another one on pacino as he is basically hatching the plan to uh to murder the two guys so i'm curious i want to hear from y'all yeah so you know you can have an actor sit in front of a camera and do something do nothing yeah mm -hmm. and given the circumstances of that you can you, you you can have different people in the audience think oh they're thinking a different thing so one by one mm -hmm. what are you guys thinking is going on in Pacino slash because for the actor there's always two people living in your head mm -hmm. when you're working in film and theater so because mm -hmm. you can't turn yourself off and you really mm -hmm. wouldn't want to you want to kind of mesh yourself to the character and find those commonalities yeah. What do you think's going on in Pacino during that whole eye thing? The eye thing. What do you think is going on in that head? So this is when he's sitting. So he's gotten the gun from the bathroom. Yeah. He's sitting down with the corrupt police chief and the uh, drug cartel guy, basically. Mm -hmm. And he's about to murder them. And they've given him the instructions in the previous scene. Mm -hmm. Like, come out of that bathroom blasting, basically. So he makes this choice to sit down instead and wait mm -hmm. and the other guys are talking and it's just a zoom in on his face so yeah you go first hannah what do you think is behind those eyes what do you think is it well you know, in, in my thought i think that's rehearsing his game plan i don't know maybe that's just me being a practical person but just thinking, like, <laughs> yeah. he's thinking through i mean do this and this and this mm -hmm. and this and this i think it's also a little bit of him like bouncing around like do i do this do i not bouncing through like the implications mm -hmm. of yeah what he's about to do so i think it's i don't know i i see yeah. a lot of not necessarily hesitation or trepidation but um he's got a plan like clearly mm -hmm. this is a guy who knows how to yeah. create something so i think that's more of his him like making sure he's got Mm -hmm. I's and T's dotted and crossed yeah. and all that. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. That, that was how I thought that. I think this is, uh, it's the point of no return for him where yeah. he hasn't really ever done anything illegal, you know, to our knowledge up to this point in the True. movie. And him, I'm joining the family. There's There are these two sides to his character of like being very calculating and smart. But then there's also this, like, deep hatred that really, at this point in the movie, starts coming out. Mm -hmm. And so this is him. I mean, I, I think it's calculating for him to make this, but he's, he's sitting and making sure that this is what he wants to do, basically. And I think you're really seeing just, like, this, this hatred bubbling up in him before yeah. he does these murders so that's how i took it yeah and i'm I'm kind of in the same vein i i don't think he's really i mean he i think he's i don't think he really is ever doubting it i don't think he ever really no i don't think he ever i don't think he ever has any any thought of not of not going through with it but i think i do think that he's probably realizing i think you're right i think he's realizing mm -hmm. that this is the point of no return i think he's um yeah might might be kind of walking through the plan and mm -hmm. um and then i think it's a matter of he's about to 
I mean, he's ostensibly killed people before, and mm-hmm. you know, in in in, yeah, in, in, in his war. time in the service. Yeah. Um, but this is probably the first time he's ever cold blooded murdered somebody. And so, so when he was in the military and too, but we just said that, yeah, yeah, and that, and that's and even that's different, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we even, you know, we even distinguish, we even distinguish degrees of murder in the law, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you know, we were to get into an argument about the Godfather and and Hannah were to get mad and kill me. You know that'd be second. That'd, that'd be that'd be second degree, right? I mean, but if that, you were to come at me and say your opinions are wrong with a knife, and then I killed you. That's well, that's different. But then also, <laughs> but like if you were to, you know, kill me, and we got into a fight, and you were to kill me, that's second degree. But if I, if you were to walk out, mm-hmm. come back in and sit back down, and then we get done with the movie, and as I'm leaving, you kill me. That's first degree. That's first degree, right? Indeed. So, like, and there's a difference. So, there's a difference between being in a firefight on Iwo Jima or something, yeah, and then literally sitting across a table from a guy eating dinner mm-hmm. and pulling a gun, you know. And so, I yeah. think that that's something that Michael's kind of, kind of having to settle into yeah. a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you realize this is the point of no return. And I think it's kind of a he's kind of taking a minute to screw his courage to the sticking place, maybe a little bit, yeah, mm-hmm. because I think. This whole thing is about the death of Michael Corleone as we know him in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, basically him. I think he's having to, in his mind, basically come to terms with mm-hmm. killing that version of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's a lot going on. I think part of it is Pacino's nervousness. <laughs> Uh, because this is actually one of the first scenes that was filmed. And um, this is one of the first scenes that was filmed. And, uh, but you you know, as an, you know, when you're an actor, it's really hard in film because if you are in, uh, if it's theater, your real time performance follows the arc of the character. You're doing it all in one shot. So you can kind of get into your care you can kind of get into character and you let the play take you along and the mm-hmm. you, you are experiencing things in this real time in order and you can act it out and you act it out every night film acting is very challenging in that you've got for one you don't typically do you don't, you don't do the whole thing of course in one big go mm-hmm. yep. and you don't shoot in order a lot of times of course mm-hmm that's really challenging for an actor because you're basically being dropped into this moment and theory and you've done your homework because you're Mm -hmm. a professional you've done your script analysis you've done you know the homework you've discussed with a director Mm -hmm. and maybe you've even had a couple of rehearsal takes Mm -hmm. but that's very challenging to get dropped into the middle of a narrative yeah didn't you say that that Pacino thought he was going to get fired at the beginning, though. Like, imagine Coppola she- did. Oh, okay, but like, imagine watching Coppola Pacino did. shoot this yeah. scene and right. still fear yeah. that he would be fired. And I'm sure he was able to like use that nervousness, absolutely. In some ways. Yeah. And yeah. I think part of it is like just tap into it. Yeah. yeah, I think part of it is just Pacino. And all that to say, you know, you you settle the more you do it, and the longer you live with the character, the more you settle mm-hmm. into a character, and you tend to. Re- you tend to relax mm-hmm. into the character over time. 
And so I think at this point, Pacino hadn't had much time to really relax into the character. And so I think part of that is just Pacino. Yeah. It's just Pacino. Yeah. You know, Um, but there's, of course, even aside from that, there's so much going on. Yeah. All right. Well, I do want to talk about, I think this is maybe the second most iconic movie on this list in terms of like having classic lines and pop culture impact beyond behind uh casablanca sure oh Uh, yeah casablanca so we need to talk about some of these moments and i turn it over to our resident pop culture expert (laughs) well i would like to make you an offer that you can't look confused that's um, probably number one classic. Of course, this on the day of my daughter's wedding. That's, oh god, that was very it. Jewish. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was, that <laughs> that was, was, that was really Jewish. That was really Jewish. <laughs> I am also Jewish. It's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's. I'm not. Italian, so on the day of my daughter's wedding, oh, that, that was very good. Yeah. I'm not good at impressions. I'm not an impression guy. It's, it's <laughs> impressions with the accents. You yeah. can get the inflections. It's just the accents yeah. you're not mm. particularly gifted at. Okay, and then accents are really tough. There are there are there are great actors and performers that really struggle struggle with accents. A French Italian hybrid for every nationality. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Um, you've got uh, look how they massacred my boy. Of course, Mm -hmm. yeah, very iconic. And then just a moment, the the horse head being in the bed. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Transcended, which was a real horse head. Oh my goodness. A glue factory. They had it shipped to oh. it was a real horse head in that bed with that guy. <laughs> what did Peter have to say about that? Well, it's it's a byproduct of the reform and it's the 70s and yeah. everything goes. But you know, um like it's a decade where you can say anything went. Yeah. <laughs> it would be the 70s. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, it was it was a byproduct of the of like the, the dog food factories. Yeah. Yeah. It was a byproduct of the dog food industry. So it wasn't so it wasn't killed for the movie. Yeah. It was yeah. it was just, hey, we're gonna kill this horse anyway. So we want Might this horse. Well. When like they basically went and looked at these horses and were like, Yeah, send this send I mean, this guy's head when you kill him. If you're a horse and you're gonna die you might as well be in like one of the most iconic scenes of all time. Right? Oh, and I die, I'm donating my head to the movie. <laughs> What's funny is I just watched the episode of Friends in the first season where Joey's going to play the butt in the new episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, my butt. Yeah, <laughs> right. Gonna be right. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, real, real horse head. head. There's me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Going the exact line. Yeah. Real horse head. Wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is that is nuts. Yeah. It does look like a real horse head. Yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah. that was uh our our audience reacted uh pretty strongly to uh to that moment in in this movie. I they think. more reacted yeah. strongly to um the Italian wife getting blown up. Ita- oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yeah. I feel bad because I gasped remembering it was gonna happen like five seconds before it happened. And mm. it's like, no, I gave it away. I did not. Everyone was like, I'm wondering why you gasped, but then I didn't have time to think about it because she got blown up. Right. Yeah. Um oh, I, I, another scene that, that people had strong reactions to was uh the scene with um uh the the sister and her husband. Um mm. Oh yeah, and I, you know it's funny because in a movie that it does, it, this movie does get lampoon. Not 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 lampoon. That's not the right word, but it does get mm-hmm. kind of taken to task over being a little bit misogynistic. Yeah, but 
and hear me out on this. I'm okay. gonna get this is where I'm gonna get canceled. We may have to delete this. Part. Okay, I'm right. about to refute everything you said. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll I think that there's <laughs> actually for the the terrible situation that it is. Mm -hmm. She actually shows a good amount of, I think, courage. Yeah, she, she's a fighter. Sure, you know. I think it's a pretty accurate portrayal of abuse too because she does the she's defending him thing that's just like yes oh yes so but it's 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 so many it's so many dv survivors i worked yeah one of my favorite jobs as an attorney or my favorite job as an attorney was mm -hmm. working in the ut law uh dv clinic where we would go to court and litigate to get orders of protection for survivors and that's it's it's a pretty that the thought processes there I saw in a lot of my clients. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to watch. And it's really because, and one of the reasons I joined the DV clinic is because I have a real bee in my bonnet. I don't understand. I don't. Mm -hmm. Guys do that kind of crap. Just, yeah. It makes me want to go James Conn. But, um, <laughs> but um, it, you know, but she, she, I mean, she grabs the knife. She's not, she's not just taking it. Yeah. She's not just taking it. I mean, you know, she doesn't end up stabbing him, but I was sitting here going, stab him. Yeah. yeah. Stab him. Go, but do it. I mean, I think, yeah, it takes an average six times for a woman to actually choose to leave her abuser. It does. Um, yes. I think, you know, it's a hard one. Um, sexism is, here like it, it's yeah. definitely a part of this misogyny is definitely a part of this culture i think that there's a lot of like the wives and the mothers are revered um mm -hmm. they're held up on a pedestal they're also protected they're not allowed mm -hmm. to know anything about the business they're you know i pray that the first child will be masculine you know their their job yeah, is to pump out boys it's the 70s or the 40s and their job yeah. is to pump out boys i think that there you know obviously there's like a culpability aspect of not wanting to know what your husband does for work i think a lot about um uh carmela and yeah. the sopranos like she's like i know he does something don't want to know anymore mm -hmm. um i don't think that's a situation with these women yeah. i think it's a don't ask what i do for work yeah don't, just don't ask you're not allowed to ask you're not allowed to yeah. know yeah. you see that in the last scene with um with uh Kay and michael where he he lies to her yeah. So I think that there's a lot of like. So why do you think that is? Uh, because he doesn't want her to know what he's becoming. But why? Because he knows she won't understand, and she's you know that. Well, what's his What's his fear there? Because his fear is that he's going to have to. Someone will have to question his view of morality. Yeah. Um. Someone who's not Italian. <laughs> <laughs> who's not from the culture mm -hmm. and who he truly loves and fears will mm -hmm. lose his respect and love and standing with. I think there's an element, and I'm not saying it's the dominant element, Yeah, but I think there is an element of don't soil your, literally, like I know that this can be a mask that misogyny can hide behind, mm -hmm. but I think there really is an honest element there of don't dirty your hands with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a dirty world and you, you, you know, uh, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want you to have to, I really just don't want you to be exposed to this crap. But know? is that, I mean, that's rooted in misogyny because it's only the women in their lives that, you know, if you, you can't handle the truth, yeah, you yeah. can't 
handle this you you know it would be too much for you I don't want to ruin your purity um I think that there's so a lot of this it's like the the only women that are like treated with honor are the women that are part of the family like the irony of Sonny leaving his mistress's house to go beat up his uh sister's abusive philandering husband like there's something that you know and yes Sonny is not a wife like Sonny's not an abuser so like we Mm -hmm. do have to there is obviously a a difference there but I think a lot of the position of of women and whether they're worthy of honor is based on their position and their relation to the men yes. versus all of them are given honor. And also their innocence must be protected mm-hmm. by the men versus letting them yeah. have more autonomy over their position yeah. and the knowledge that they have. This is also a pre-sexual revolution. Of course. No, 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 I, yeah. yeah, But I, again, I'm going back to the Sopranos because I love it so much. Um, <laughs> it's there too. Like I think yeah. that there's, because there is a, yeah. there's so much violence, there's so much murder, there's so yeah. many of these like masculine things that, um, yeah, it's and it's also like, I don't know. I, yeah, for I, me that there's there's sexism portrayed in this movie. There's also a little bit of racism portrayed in this movie. Yes. You know, it's, like it's we were just all the names for Italian. Yeah, what <laughs> so makes, one of the um so. You know, just because it's portrayed doesn't mean it's, you know, endorsed, as we discussed earlier. I would say maybe it's a little, like, brushed past or not explored to the extent that it should be if it's portrayed like this. But Mm -hmm. this movie is, it's like we said at the very beginning, it's leaving a lot up for interpretation and... Mm -hmm conversations like that yeah i mean this yeah. movie is not about women in this culture it's not meant to to put mm-hmm. to kind of present how women are felt and experienced it's mm-hmm. meant it's a story about yeah the men and that's fine like not all yeah. movie has to have i'm glad we, we have genders. stories about women also on the list we just did a portrait of a lady on oh, fire which okay. is almost exclusively women no men talk uh, in the entire movie yeah there's like um, three men you so see peripherally. It's fantastic. Really interesting uh, stuff. But yeah, yeah, of course, you know, we're... But again, I think yeah. so much of misogyny is, especially like newer misogyny, like not misogyny of the 20th and even 21st century is this guise of respecting and honoring women that is still positioning women as an accessory to men and this Mm, movie is an example of that i think yeah that was really interesting yeah it is and it it, the 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 the, and i don't i don't know i you know for me you know masculinity and morality and the the inner interchange Mm -hmm. between them is 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 ever an evolving and moving target it seems Mm -hmm. like and you know, because it begs the question, right? Um, you know, is there, because you've got some men out there mm-hmm. are very dangerous. Yeah. Some men are just not. Mm-hmm. Some men just don't have it in them, in them to be dangerous. These two buddies I'm sitting next don't to have right them to be mean. Don't, have it, don't have it in them to be violent. Don't have it in them to be mean. Mm-hmm. Don't have it in them to do, they just don't have it. 
in them. Right. But there are some men that absolutely do. Right. And there are some men that have it there that allow that to run rampant Mm -hmm. and, and rub off in a bad way on other people. And then there are men that have it and choose to not. Right. Mm -hmm. What's the greater morality? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not having that, having that ability and not exercising it, exercising restraint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or is it more moral or does it make you a more moral person to just not have that in you? You know, um, I don't know. I don't think, I mean, I think ultimately like we are, it's, it's our actions that define us. Um, and it, you know, because I do believe that there are, you know, our brains are crazy complicated and there are things that our brains might want us to do and having the strong enough moral character to say, no, like maybe I'm mad. Maybe I can't help but clench my fists and want to just go swinging at things. And that's a compulsion that I need to work on. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a compul- like, That's a compulsion. I, I understand. First of all, it's a compulsion. I understand that it's not okay. And I understand to do the work to not, yeah. not, yeah beat on the people that I I'm supposed to care about or just people in general so I think that is just as upstanding as someone who doesn't have that type of compulsion not because I think you can have the compulsion but also make the choice to not and to do the work I think something that also really is really heartbreaking about this movie is just I don't know I sometimes feel so sad for men because (laughs) they're like you talk about just the machismo like the Mm -hmm. men are are these hard people that do these hard things and Mm -hmm. can't have emotion or can't Mm -hmm. have softness Mm -hmm. to them um and so i think about sunny's character of like he wants to be the don he wants to do these things and he i don't know it 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 makes me like, he can't just like sit down and talk about his feelings. Is that in a place where that's a safe thing to do? He has to be a person of like violent action. You know, and I think that some of that's, I think that some of that has absolutely been conditioned by machismo culture. But sometimes, I mean, me as a man, Mm -hmm. sometimes I don't want to, I just damn well don't want to (laughs) talk. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. I want to whip, you know, like I just, you know, I mean, and I know that that's not necessarily healthy, but it's just in me, you know. I think that's like, I mean, yeah, you can go to the gym and punch a punching bag. You can go on the long run. Like you can get out feelings and frustration through physical action. I just think there's a culture that's created where, like, you're never like your feel your feelings aren't you're forbidden you're forbidden for having feelings you express it in this way and you cannot express it this way yes and so then to have talia shire's character be so overly emotive almost like Mm -hmm. in in that contrast of like no emotion man to incredibly emotive Mm -hmm. woman yeah Um, there's that yeah it makes me sad yeah it does there's that i want to so i i one more really uh key thing that i want to talk about in this movie that hasn't come up yet uh is Vito's death mm. yeah and you get this just incredible sequence of him playing with his grandson so sweet and yeah he has a heart attack and 
that you get like a couple of moments of just the grandson like not knowing what's going on and thinking Vita's playing is heartbreaking but I think it's really interesting that they give Vito in this world of so much violence even towards Vito himself and several attempts on his life they give him just this natural death yeah doing you know with his family and that innocence and that family is like so important to him yeah and it makes you so grateful that he's able to get out of the game yeah and have long enough to mentor his son in his place to kind of get him to into a position where he feels like okay mm-hmm. like my business my my next generation is good yeah. i can go enjoy my grandkids like there's a sweetness mm-hmm, yeah. to that and it almost brings back this humanity of like this mm-hmm. is still a person yeah. like this culture this life is still about family there is a morality here even if it's different from what some of us view as moral versus amoral right um i and my my next thought was I'm so thankful that the grandson, why do I want to call him Stephen? Was it Stephen? I don't know. Whatever. The grandson. So he's only three. So like he probably won't remembering what remember watching yeah. his grandfather die. You know? I hope so not. It's like, it's like, That's his first memory. <laughs> right. Die after having a really, really great time with my grandkids, but also not give my grandkids the trauma of watching me die. Fair. Yeah, they like walk like, into the next room and then kill them. Like yeah. a day yeah. and then die peacefully in my yeah. sleep. You, you know, yeah, yeah. I also think this is a really smart script, and one really smart moment about it is that Vito and Michael have the conversation about the Barzini meeting before Vito dies. And hey, you know, Barzini's gonna want to meet with you. Whoever comes to you with the Barzini meeting, that's the traitor. That's They're the gonna try to kill you. And then it's at Vito's funeral that someone approaches Michael with the Barzini meeting. It's so smart. Yeah. How that's done of his, you know, father's last piece of advice mm-hmm. doesn't become applicable until after his death. I, I it's that's just, really beautiful. Yeah, it's and Michael's like, face when he like Yeah. No, like you when he knows, he's like, yeah, sure. And um, Michael's so good. Michael's smart enough to like one thing about Michael is you know, one thing that we associate, especially, and I know it's kind of going back to our previous conversation a little bit, but something we associate with masculinity is arrogance in a lot of time. A lot of times, yeah. like mm-hmm. I associate toxic masculinity with arrogance. Mm-hmm. Like I'm Mr. Big Man, you yeah. know. Michael's very humble. Yeah, he'll listen to his father. Mm-hmm. He will take the advice of the people around him. He knows he doesn't. Not his wife, but it's <laughs> not his wife. <laughs> Well, I mean, his wife just doesn't have. She the, isn't now. She yeah. doesn't have the data to form to really form an informed opinion. But that's because also. That, that, but but whose fault is that, right? Yeah. So you know, um, but you know, and something else about you know something that's a, a theme throughout is children. They 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 do have a reverence mm-hmm. for their wives, and you know the problematic part of it is that they lift up the women in their lives on their own terms. Mm-hmm. That's the that's 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 the the bad side of the coin, right? Like they they do lift up these women in their lives, but if they lift them up how they want to lift them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the that's the dark side of that. But they also lift up children, right? Because when they talk about essentially when Vito is like, okay, look, I know that I can't stop this drug things, but here's what we're going to do. And you have people in that meeting say, I don't want it in your schools. Mm-hmm. I don't want it sold to children. I don't yeah. want it. You know, they lift up. I do want it for the African Americans. 
That, yeah, that part that was, was like, which is terrible, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Coca-Cola, destroying cultures. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, but, you know, they, it's interesting that there is that lifting up of, 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 of children and, and it's part of that family yeah. morality. I think the one thing that we're kind of missing and, and it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a, it's an unspoken presence. It's a very, you know, it's a very, you know, what, what, what is the, what is family associated and what does every organization that has the word family in it have in common a lot of times? It's, it's the Catholic church, like mm-hmm. the Catholic yeah. culture around the family mm-hmm. and around, um, you know, the certain, certain ways of living is very prevalent. It's a very, very yeah. Catholic, um, very much of a Catholic church influence in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's, it's, yeah, does a kind of a cool job of taking all these little ingredients yeah and mm-hmm. baking a really good cake out of it yeah. it does absolutely it does it feels like you're in a world um i hate to cut this conversation short because i'm having a blast but i think it is time to wrap it up any final thoughts on this movie that we didn't get to i mean we could talk about it for five hours probably but i do want to talk about the italian sequence mm. uh, you just like what <laughs> like it, he goes to Italy well, oh first, yeah yeah okay well, first yeah. of all I was it was very, it was quite frustrating that we didn't have any translation of the Italian I know yeah so yeah. you kind of get through context things that happen it makes me want to do a little more research it's, as to like it's like a little too much Italian for it not to be when, right where, where did you stream this what yeah watched on Prime yeah yeah some streaming services the subtitle settings go a bit wonky. So it could okay. be that if you get the Blu-ray or something, it could be that they are subtitles. Yeah, I don't think this was like in the theaters without subtitles. Right, yeah, um, yeah. But just the, um, and yeah, I think the first time I watched it, it had subtitles. I okay, remember. yeah. But just, you know, Michael did get married. And Does Kay know that he I'm got sure married he in never, Italy? I'm sure no he way he was telling her that. Because it was like, <laughs> You know, again, it was the 40s, so yeah. that marriage was legal, but like the documentation isn't going to follow that thing around. And she had the documentation with her in the car. There it is. Well, then she's dead. Doesn't it that after yeah. the car blows up, you see her leg hanging out the door? Yeah, no. I'm like, oh. um, but yeah, just like that sequence is so interesting. I think that, like, within this culture, there's so much honoring of the old country. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this movie that would have been like the late forties. Mm-hmm. So like, it's Italy was yeah. so decimated, so impoverished after World War Two. Um, we just watched Bicycle Thieves. So this is that. set in the same times that Bicycle Thieves is set. That is why. But this is like so romanticizing of the yeah. old culture. You know, the beautiful colors and the beautiful women and the, the like countryside yeah. dates and the. Oh, I'm all about you know. I would, I feel like I could, it would be so much fun to like be dropped there. Yeah, let's go to Italy. Mm. Next podcast, we'll do it on the road. Um, Oh, that would be great. But yeah, so I just think it's an interesting sequence. I need to go and try to find a script and get a better translation of the Italian. Yeah. Or a translation of all of the Italian. Ethan, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, just one final thing. Um, how I wanted to point out how I think the writing served the actors very well. Uh, I think that the actors did do a great job. I don't want to take anything away from them, but I think that one thing you'll notice about this script is that the objectives are very clear. Yeah. Even to the audience, the characters' objectives are very clear. 
They're very simple. And the objectives are in direct opposition to somebody else's objective. Yeah. And hence you have your obstacle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you have the culture, which informs the tactic, mm -hmm. how these characters are going to get around their obstacle to their objective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that this, the writing and the adaptation made it very easy for the actors to do the analysis. And I think they did it very well. And I think that uh, the the screenwriting served the actors very mm -hmm. well. Great performances all around. Not a stinker among them. Not mm -hmm. a stinker. <laughs> not a stinker yeah. among them. What yeah. a film. What a, what a picture. What a picture. Yeah. Okay. With the baby during the baptism. Excellent mm -hmm. performance. Oh, yeah. Totally yeah. Believe they basically baby. shoved its hat in its, in yeah. its little it face. Was, it's it like uncomfortable. Like, what the it. heck? Yeah. Yeah. Cute. All right. Well, did this... you have any final thoughts? No, I, okay. I, I I covered it all in the outline. I get to write the outline, so I don't need any final thoughts. <laughs> we used get to, take, to intersperse my outline. Uh, we used yeah. to take turns on the outline, but then I was like, I'm not enjoying this, and Brian's like, I am. So I yeah, like he writing writes all of the outlines. Um, it's time for our 2001: A Space Odyssey fact. Let's do this it. This is a recurring feature on our podcast. Cool. 2001 A Space Odyssey is going to be the hundredth movie we watch. We've okay. both seen it before, and it did not care for it as much as I did. <laughs> I am trying to convince her through facts and trivia that it is a great movie. It's a good argument. Okay. By the time we reach movie number 100. So I've committed to 100 uh, 2001 A Space Maybe. Odyssey facts. I'm oh that's true. I'm running I'm running short on my uh 2001 Space Odyssey pack. So oh, dear Lord. dear listeners if you would like to send in some 2001 no Space Odyssey packs. Um you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore what a pick. Um uh, well, there you go. Yeah. That's Brian so, with a Y. Brian with a Y. That's right. Um so today's 2001 a Space Odyssey fact. You've got the all-seeing eye of Hal in really the uh, the second act of this movie. And that is a nod to the Cyclops in the Odyssey, how he has just one eye. So oh. I like it. And so A Space Odyssey, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, there it is. Okay. The Odyssey. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 I got you. Very good. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, wonderful. Um i just it's been it's been like two hours i'm tired yeah um ethan we loved having you on yeah this, this was, was so great. much fun thank you for having yes me. uh hope it's... i didn't uh bore bore any of the audience members oh, with, with te technical acting no calls. we love it we love it <laughs> so um y'all we will see you again next week we are going to be watching and talking through my neighbor totoro it is a um, 1998 Japanese animated film by Hayao Miyazaki. Um, this is one of two animated films on the list. They are both Hayao Miyazaki films. I, this is a huge part of my childhood. I will cry. Um, I'm so excited to watch it with you. Yeah. I really remember very little specifically about this film. There are some yeah. other Miyazaki films that I think I remember a little bit more. Um, but I, there, this movie is just so delightful. I can't okay. wait. I can't I'm wait to excited. watch it with you. I can't wait till our kids are old enough so that they can watch it. Yeah. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm pumped. So, um, yeah. it's available on HBO Max and yes. my neighbor Totoro. Yeah. Sometimes people say Totoro, but Totoro is more fun Totoro. to say. Totoro. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, we love you guys. We'll All right. Bye. Bye.